All right, this evening, <clears throat> we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Brethren, this is the Word of God. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Amen. <clears throat> oh, brethren, as we saw in our last study, we must always approach the Word of God with care and consider words in context and to the best of our ability understand how the writers were using those words. <clears throat> Anyone who will take the time to study it will discover that universal terms in Scripture are almost always limited in some form or fashion. <clears throat> Universal terms in Scripture are almost always limited in some way or another. And we're going to continue that this evening. We looked at the word world last week. And uh, I remind you, we're not doing an extensive study or defense of our position, uh, since this is the first time <clears throat> since I have been here that we have gone through the doctrine of God's grace, uh, we're doing what I might call a, kind of an intermediate study. We're not uh, just running over the, 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 the points of the, of the doctrine of grace uh, in a hurried fashion, and yet at the same time we're not uh, stretching them out and looking at all of the particulars, especially all of the objections. That would be a lengthy study. <clears throat> it's a profitable one, but our first time through, we're just, uh, especially in some of these um, controversial matters, uh, just getting a basic idea of the issues involved and taking one or two examples. So we dealt with the word world last week. Today we're going to look at the two words, all and every. All and every. And uh, the title of our... <clears throat> Our study this evening is a ransom for all, taken from verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. After someone has objected to our position with John 3.16, 1 John 2, verse 2, this is normally the passage they'll turn to next. <clears throat> they'll come and say, well, I've heard some of this other stuff that you're you're saying, and some of the things you're saying are all right, <clears throat> but there are some very plain passages in the Scripture that say that Jesus Christ died for everybody. And this is one of them. <clears throat> they would say, it is as clear as it can be that verse 6 says that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. And, quite honestly, and at least from their perspective, legitimately, they believed that anyone that would take that to mean that Jesus died for any, any configuration other than all men has to be twisting the Scriptures. And that's a serious charge. Are we, in fact, twisting the Scriptures to come to a, a conclusion other than the fact that Jesus died for each and every person, past, present, future? And I think that the answer, after study and careful consideration, is that uh, this particular verse does not teach what they believe it does. And we want to see why. <clears throat> so the first thing we want to consider is the definition and the categories of the word all and the word every. <clears throat> and we'll look at the word all first. Now, uh, almost... Uh, all of 
the time. Uh, there are a few exceptions. The words all and every are the translation of one small Greek word, pas. And it is defined all, all manner, every, every man, whosoever, whatsoever, each, everyone, every kind, every sort of. You go to the lexicons, you'll find that in all of them. But the very manner in which they are here defined should make clear right away to someone who is attentive that you can't make that word mean exactly the same thing every time you come to it. Because all and all manner do not mean precisely the same thing. <clears throat> and that's why we say there are categories for this particular word. And I will break them up for you this way this evening. When we speak of all in the Scripture, the first category would mean each member of every kind of category. A universal all. Absolutely everything. Each member of every kind. Or if you want to say it this way, all of all sorts. Of all the kinds you can have, each and every one of all the kinds. And the word is used that way sometimes. We don't deny that. Second category is each member of certain categories. In other words, there may be A, B, C, D categories. And it could mean each member of simply category A. And not of categories B, C, D, and E. Thirdly, it can mean some members of every category. Okay? Now, you know, when you start talking like this, sometimes people's eyelids immediately start getting heavy. But... Uh, it's important for us to understand that this is the Word of God and we must wrestle through and, and apply our minds and hearts to, the, to it so that we can understand what our God is saying to us. Now, <clears throat> let's consider examples from each of these categories. And I think this will help you to understand what I mean by these various categories. All right, first of all, each member of every kind of category. Each member of every kind of category. Turn to Titus chapter 2 and look at verse 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. <clears throat> Paul writes, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of all of good works. Now, this is clearly an example of all of all sorts. Each and every member of each and every category. It has to mean that. If it doesn't, it means that there are some sins from which we are not redeemed. If there are some sins which we are not redeemed, we're lost. We have no hope. This has to be a universal all. It means absolutely each and every one of every uh, one of our sins, every kind of our sins. <clears throat> of all the categories, of all the sins that men can commit, Jesus Christ has redeemed His children from each and every one. Which, of course, should be a great comfort to us. Every one of our sins washed away in the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 is another example. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We have the same kind of example here 
all ungodliness. God's wrath is revealed against each and every kind and each and every instance of every kind of ungodliness. God hates sin. There is no ungodliness that He can abide. There is no kind, there is neither category nor individual instance of a category of ungodliness that He can overlook. He hates all wickedness. So again, we have a clear universal application here. Each and every one of every kind of category. <clears throat> every member of every kind of category. One more. Let's look at one more. This is in the same vein as Titus 2.14. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John writes, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Um, I don't need to repeat all of my comments from Titus chapter 2 verse 14 simply to say that if the Lord were to overlook, if He were to pass by, if He were not to cleanse us from one single sin, we would be lost for all of eternity. We would truly undergo His, His wrath and fury and damnation. And again, that is a great encouragement for His people. All of our sins are cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are other examples, but I think this is sufficient to illustrate one category of the way that the word all is used. The difficulty is that our opponents want it to be used this way every time you come to it. And the Bible simply doesn't use it that way. Each member of certain categories or as I said all of some sorts each member of particular categories but not necessarily all categories alright let's look at Matthew chapter 3 verse 10 Matthew chapter 3 verse 10 And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Of the categories of trees that bring forth fruit and trees that do not bring forth fruit, each one of the trees which do not bring forth fruit will be cut down. It's not all trees. It's all of the trees that don't bear fruit. Everybody follow that? Here is each and every member, every instance within a specific category. But it's not all the categories. There are trees that bear fruit, trees that do not bear fruit. The axe is laid to the trees that do not bear fruit and all of those will be hewn down and cast into the fire. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And this is where we have to begin to really stop and think about what's being said to us. The Lord Jesus says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, the passage is very clear. The Lord Jesus says, all things. Now, when we begin to sit and talk to people about the word all, one of the slogans you'll hear regularly is, the Bible says what it means, it means what it says, all means all, and that's what it means. Well, The Lord Jesus says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would 
that men should do to you. Well, does this apply to sodomites? There are things that they would like to have done to them. Is the Lord Jesus Christ giving them permission to do that to others? If the answer is no, then we can't press the word all to mean absolutely all. It can't possibly mean that. What about sadomasochists? There are people that like to be hurt. Is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, well, if you like to be hurt, it's okay for you to hurt other people. Can we make that apply here? Of course not. There's a context. It says, this is the law and the prophets. Therefore, it's talking about all lawful things that you can do. All lawful things that you would have someone do to you, you may do to them. You may not do something illegal or something wicked. This is clearly each member of certain categories. All things that are right to do that you would have men do to you, you may do to them. Okay, Matthew 15, verse 13. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Of the plants, then, planted by the Father, and those that are not planted by the Father, each and every one that is not planted by the Father will be pulled up. We have more than one category. But the all here applies just to one of the two categories. Is this, is this confusing anyone? Does this make sense? In other words, all here can't mean absolutely each and every one of every kind and every category. What it means is a specific category. All the ones within that category or that sort, or that type, whatever you'd like to use. One more. Hebrews, well, uh, let's press on. Time-wise, let's, let's press on. I think, that makes, I think that makes the case, at least for what we're going to do this evening. Now, that, that comes to the, uh, brings us to the third category, which is some members of every category. All right? We've looked at all members of all categories, all members of some categories, and now some members of all categories. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. The words all manner are the one Greek word, pas. All manner of sickness. In other words, of all the kinds of sicknesses that were brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, he healed men who had them. But it doesn't mean that every single person of Israel, past, present, or future, or even present, was healed. It means of all those that brought sick to him, of every kind of disease that came, there wasn't one kind that he could not heal. But it does not mean that every disease in Israel was healed. How do we know that? Because if you continue to read the chapters through Matthew and Mark and Luke, there's still more people that are continually brought to him. Everybody wasn't healed all at once. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now look at the word. He shall be hated of all men. The word all 
is used there. Does all mean all? Well, sure it means all. But it means all manner. It means all kinds of men. Every kind of man will hate you. It can't mean absolutely every man will hate you because the disciples all loved one another. There was an exception here, was there not? The Lord's people loved one another. If there was nothing but hate, then somehow or another the love of and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ conquered no one. The word all is used here. But it cannot mean all in a universal sense. It means some of every kind. In other words, it means many. Many men will hate you. All kinds of men will hate you. Rich men, poor men, white men, black men, red men. But it can't mean each and every man. And it certainly can't mean each and every man, past, present, and future. We don't hate the apostles, do we? Anybody here hate the, the apostles? No. The word all it often means all kinds. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Where unto, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. The translators used the word all manner here because it was clear that he was making an exception. Every kind of sin will be forgiven to men except one. Here's a passage where we have the exception actually stated in the verse. And there are others like this. Brethren, the, the word that's translated all and every and each is in the New Testament over a thousand times. So it's obvious that we can't cover all of those in a universal way. But we can look at all in the sense of some of every sort. And that's what we're doing this evening. All right. Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. Then went out to him, that means to the Lord Jesus, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, if you wanted to make the argument and say, well, each and every single person in Israel, in every condition, sick, in jail, Whatever condition, everybody, it says all. But did everybody go out to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience baptism? Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 30. Luke chapter 7, verse 30. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. I said Jesus a minute ago. I'm sorry, I meant uh, John. I said Jesus being baptized. Obviously, when John came on the scene and he called men to repent, he called all men to repent, but all men didn't repent. <clears throat> the writers didn't seem to have any problem and they weren't confused in saying, then went out to Jerusalem, uh, went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan. It cannot mean each and every single individual. Because... The Scriptures plainly tell us that the Pharisees and the lawyers were not baptized of Christ. It means all sorts of men is what it means. It means many. A huge amount of people went to be baptized. But it doesn't mean each and every one. There are not contradictions in the Scripture. There's no conflict here if you understand how the biblical writers use the words. 
If you try to force the word all to be universal every time you go to it, in time, you get absurdities in the Scripture. And you make the Scripture say things that it can't mean. <clears throat> Another example, John 12. John 12, verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from earth, will draw all men unto me. Well, that's another one. Some flock to right away. Brother, I appeal to you to, to consider in the light of God's Word what is being said. First of all, the word men is in italics. <clears throat> uh, it's not in the actual text. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I will draw all unto me. Well, that seems to be as plain and simple as it could be. I will draw all. Then why are some in hell? Why were some <clears throat> resistant, rebellious, and adamant about not coming to Christ? How is it that he was not able to draw them all? He said he would. Did the Lord fail? Or does the word mean all kinds of men? All that the Father gives him. It can't mean each and every single person. Why? First of all, because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of people had seen, uh, hundreds of years had passed where people had died. It's too late for them. Couldn't have died for them. Well then, <clears throat> did he draw everyone else from that point forward? Well, the minute you say that, you've limited it. Even if you were to say that's what he means from then on. But that contradicts John chapter 6 because it says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If he draws all men and he will not cast out any that come to him, that all men have to be saved. No doubt our hearts yearn just to hear the gospel preached or some wonderful passage opened up for us. When we go through passage after passage like this, our minds can get a little weary. But these are important things. We want to see that we're not simply taking a verse here or there and then torturing it to make it say what we want. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Well, the word all is here. All flesh. There are no footnotes. There's no commentary. It says all. Does it mean then that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon animal flesh? They have flesh. Paul tells us that in First uh, in First Corinthians there are different kinds of bodies. <clears throat> Does it mean all bodies that have flesh? Well, of course it doesn't mean that. But if all means all, why can't it mean all flesh? including animal flesh. The minute someone says, well, don't be silly, it means all people, then you have to ask them, how do you know? And why do you make that limitation? Well, let's, let's move off of the idea of, of animal flesh. If you think for some reason that might be stretching the case, let's just take the context of the passage. Was the Holy Spirit poured out on every single human being in Jerusalem. No. Was the Spirit poured out on each and every individual in the world? No, it wasn't. Will the Spirit be poured out on each and every individual past, present, and future? How about just future? Now, brother, we know the answer to that. But you see, this is what we have to deal with. It's exactly the same Greek word. 
the Greek writers or, or the writers of New Testament Greek were not confused. They were using language as they understood and as they were inspired by the Spirit of God. It is we, centuries later, who take our language and try to force one definition of a word into a place all the way through the Scriptures in order to support the theology that we hold. We can't do that. The Scriptures will not let us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. <clears throat> Romans three twenty-three. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that true? Is there anybody in history who never sinned? There was one. The Lord Jesus Christ. Was He a man? Yes, He was. Did He sin? No. Does this passage give us that footnote? No, it doesn't. It says, for all have sinned. Quite obviously, the writers expect for us to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is not included in that. But they didn't tell us that here. Why wouldn't they? Well, I think, they, as they used it the way they knew and understood it, I think they expected the Lord's people throughout the ages to take the Word of God and handle it carefully and think it through carefully. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That comes close to being true <laughs> in a universal sense. Of course, what it's saying is true. But is every single sin that men commit rooted in their love for money? Did Adam take the bite of the fruit because of his love for money? One more. But just look at one more in this category and we'll press on so we can <clears throat> conclude. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. And here's where we want to begin to make some applications. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now look at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, it's the same word. <clears throat> but in the first context of verse 14, it obviously, by the tenor of all of Scripture, by the things that we're told by the rest of the Word of God, it has to mean that the Lord Jesus Christ died for all the sins of all of His people. Because, as I've already said, and as the Scriptures make clear, if we die with one sin, not paid for, we will be lost. <clears throat> but when we look at verse 11, the word all is used in a different way. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Well, there are men that were not alive, that had lived in the past up to that point. Had all men up in history, up till the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, had all of them God's grace, saving grace revealed to them? No. Well, let's look in a future sense then. Does this mean that from the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glories of the gospel and the inauguration of the new covenant... Do, will, will all men have the gospel revealed to them? Well, we know that that hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. We may hope and pray for a glorious global awakening, but it hasn't happened. 
What in the world does it mean that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men? Brethren, it, it is talking about all kinds of men. And the context of the whole chapter lays that before us. Chapter 2 begins with, Speak down the things which become, or which are befitting, sound doctrine. That the aged men, verse 2, the aged women, verse 3, young women, verse 4, young men, verse 6, <clears throat> servants, verse 9, all right? And then it says, for, verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, all kinds of men. It tells the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, even servants, how they're to live as Christians because the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all kinds of men. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and even slaves. That's the context. All of every kind of category. The universality doesn't mean each and every individual. It means that the gospel reaches every kind of sinner. Every category of sinner. You see, now let's go back to, to 1 Timothy. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. See if we see something in the context. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, is there anyone here actually able to give intercession for all men? How long would it take you to pray for all men? Not all men that live in the future or all men that have lived in the past, just all men now. I mean, the only way that you could get around it would just be to say, Lord, bless all men. But it says, for all men. And then it says, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, we're to pray in the context here. We're to pray for all kinds of men. Those that lead us. Those that are in authority so that we might be able to live in godliness. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has saved all kinds of men. Brethren, it was no surprise in those days. Um... Uh, excuse me, it, was, it would be a surprise, uh, as it would be at any time, to hear us say that God died for every kind of men, including politicians, wouldn't it? I mean, in those days, if you think corruption is uh, at some kind of a maximum height today, uh, politics has always been filthy. <laughs> it's always been wicked. It's always been filled with mistreatment. To, to have the Lord... And God's Word tell us to pray for tax collectors. Every kind of man. All kinds of men. People in authority. Kings. Those that oppress us. That would stretch our imaginations. But this is what the Gospel does. God saves every kind of man. All kinds of men. There is one God, one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You see, in that context, surprising types are brought in to the context. Kings, authority, all of these kinds of men. We're to pray for every man and God has made provision for every kind of man in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you'll look with me, Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Now that's a pretty straightforward statement, is it not? For with God all things are possible. But Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 tells us that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. And here we're told something is impossible for God and yet the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said all things are possible for God. Is this a contradiction? Well, it is if we press the word all in the wrong way. But if we understand that all things within God's will and all good things that God can and will do are possible for our God, then there's no problem. But it's not possible for God to lie because that's against His very nature. Well, why didn't the New Testament writers give us these footnotes? <laughs> because they expected us to compare Scripture with Scripture and learn how words are used. We generally don't tend to do that. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That sounds awfully broad, doesn't it? Paul says all things are lawful. So is it lawful for Paul to rob a bank? Is it lawful for Paul to sell drugs? Is it lawful for Paul to go to a prostitute? Of course, these are wicked and horrible things to say, but we have to say them in light of the fact that when people say all means all, that's what it means, what they're confessing to you is that they're not reading the Scriptures carefully. When Paul says, all things are lawful unto me, he certainly does not mean wickedness. If you go to the context, it means I can eat and I can drink all kinds of things because that's lawful for me. Even though I'm a Jew, I can eat certain things things but it's not expedient for me to do that it's within a context all three of the categories that we've set before you this evening are found here in the scriptures and the writers use them that way over and over and over all members of all categories universal and then all members of some categories but not all the categories. And then some of all the categories. Some members of all the categories. And brethren, when we begin to take the Word of God then and compare Scripture with Scripture, we don't find contradiction. We will if we press a false notion upon all these verses by simply taking a definition and making it work that way. Let me give two more examples and then we'll close for this evening Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 33 and 34 say this but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days saith the Lord I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them 
unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That passage begins by saying, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And yet when the Lord Jesus Christ came, was every individual in Israel and Judah saved? We know the answer to that, don't we? Is there a problem with God's Word? No, the Lord Jesus Christ explains it for us in John chapter 6. He says in verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. He's making reference here to Jeremiah 31. And then, and then the Lord gives clarity. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. In other words, the context didn't mean each and every single individual person alive in Israel and Judah at the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus. But it was talking about all of His spiritual Israel. All those taught by the Father. There were many that were not taught by the Father. In Matthew chapter 11, the Lord Jesus said in verse 27, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. All meant every one of God's children drawn by him to Jesus Christ in the new covenant. But not every literal human being in Israel and Judah. Brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent into this world to save His people from their sins. When we do a study like this, does this mean now that we should sit down and say, well, we don't know who the Lord's going to save. Uh, it doesn't appear like we even know what to say. And this, I've had people say this to me. After hearing something like this, they go, well, what do I say to people? And I say, say what the Bible says. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're not burdened by your sins, if you do not sense your wickedness, if you do not know your vileness and your rebellions against God, if you do not understand yourself worthy of being damned, what need have you of Christ? Will you come? But he says, come! Tell those who know they are sinners that there's a Savior from sin and His name is Jesus Christ. And those who repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will have life. tragedy is we've confused what men have clouded the gospel with in their fleshy terms. Everyone wants to be able to go to any sinner anywhere on the planet and says, God loves you. Jesus died for you. Now, if you'll just believe that, you'll be saved. And yet you don't find the Lord Jesus nor the apostles saying that. We must tell men that they are lost. We must press them to see their sins, praying, of course, that the Holy Spirit causes them to see them, and then tell them there is a Savior for sinners. And we see the love of God in the resurrected Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. Come, ye sinners. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ransom for all. I can tell them, men, anywhere and everywhere, Jesus saves every kind of sinner and washes away every kind of sin. Except the unpardonable sin. So, brethren, I do pray that as we 
look at these somewhat technical matters sometimes, that we take them and realize that we may always sound like the Scriptures. Let's make sure we sound like the Scriptures. I have no problem with anyone preaching like Paul in Acts 13. I have no problem with anyone preaching like Peter in Acts chapter 2. Let's preach the Gospel as Christ and the Apostles did. Let us call sinners to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.